Sites for Building Your Patient's Medical Home. I'm Lori. And I'm Michelle, and we're with the Alberta Medical Association. So, Michelle, a few weeks ago, you did a road trip up to Edmonton with Dr. Baylor. Yeah, so Brad Baylor and I were um, lucky to interview a few a few amazing uh, guests, one of whom was Dr. Lee Green. And, um, Lori, he's such an interesting guy. He is uh, a family physician, but he's also a researcher who studies family physicians. And he's done a lot of research also around patients' medical home and uh, quite a bit of uh, research actually here in Alberta. Nice. Yeah, local, local information. So he talked to us pretty extensively about the evidence behind patients' medical home. And extensive it was, Michelle. Um, <laughs> I took a listen to to the um, to the interview, and yeah, he talked about um, the cost savings uh, for patients' medical home. He talked about the evidence around team uh, physician burnout, um, staff burnout, uh, staff turnover. Mm-hmm. Um, well, of course, very importantly, patient outcomes, patient access. Uh, I really like that he talked as well about the evidence in the fee-for-service mm-hmm. environment, um, about docs just doing simple things like going home earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was, there was a ton of content uh, in there and uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, should we take a listen? Yeah, let's hear it from Lee. Hi, this is Michelle from the AMA, and joining me again today is the inimitable Dr. Brad Baylor. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> it's our great, great pleasure to welcome Dr. Lee Green to our podcast studio. Good afternoon. <laughs> and um, let's start, uh, Lee, with maybe if you could tell us a little bit about you know, who you are and what you do. Okay, well, I'm a family physician. I'm chair of the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Alberta, and I'm a health services researcher. That means I do lots of research, but I don't study diseases. I study other doctors. Uh, More particularly, I study the healthcare system and how we can change things to make things better, and in particular, primary care. In as much as, you know, I'm a family physician, that's what I believe. Right, right. Family physician, but so much more. (laughs) You've done a lot of research and, um, well, I mean, you've lived the transition to patient's medical home. Helped lead it at my previous practice. Yeah. And you've also done a lot of research around mm-hmm. it. So tell us a little bit about, like, what's your take on the medical home? Well, it is the way to practice for the future. Um, it's the way we should be practicing now, really. But like any change, it takes a little time to get there. It's, I think, really important for us to do for three reasons. It's better, it's cheaper, Mm -hmm. and it makes us and our patients happier. Hmm. And there's actually really good evidence around all three of those things. Now, I helped develop some of that evidence, but there's lots and lots more beyond what my team and I did. There's a whole literature about the medical home, and it's pretty clear from all those studies and all those places that it is better in terms of actually better outcomes for our patients. You know, the, the, the fact that fewer people end up hospitalized for asthma. Every kid who doesn't end up in the hospital for their asthma is a kid who wasn't struggling to breathe. Okay? Every, every adult with heart failure who doesn't land in the hospital is somebody who wasn't in horrible condition and have to be rushed off in an ambulance. These are real outcomes that matter to people. We know that the medical home model, by 
being proactive, by being systematic, by being team-based, all the things that it does, we know it makes patients better. Um, we also know that it's cheaper. It does, it does actually bend the cost curve. And, you know, that is a good thing. Uh, we have to, we have to be responsible with society's resources. It's kind of a double win because it is cheaper by being better. Hmm. The way it saves money is by improving patient outcomes because it's really expensive when somebody lands in eMERGE or the hospital for something that we could have helped them with. We could have kept them from having that happen to them. And it makes everybody happier, patients obviously, because, you know, they mm -hmm. have better health outcomes and, and they experience the care better too. And this, is, this has been studied in extensively in patient satisfaction research. Even though patients often can't articulate the medical home model or they, they don't know that my practice is a medical home practice or in the U.S. it's, you know, NCQA certified level three, whatever. They don't know any of that, <laughs> but they do know they're getting better taken care of. Right. They do know that there's somebody looking after them. They do know that there's the doctor and the nurse are working together and the pharmacist is working with them and the social worker is connected. And, and if something falls through the cracks, somebody catches it. They know somebody's looking out for them. The, the interesting thing is, if you do it right, the doctors and nurses and medical assistants are happier too. Hmm. When studies are done of medical home transformation practices, those that have successfully transformed... It's rough during the year or two that you're doing the transformation. But when you get there, Maslach burnout inventory scores are lower. Burnout among primary care physicians is a, is a yeah. significant problem in, in most countries at this point. You actually get less burnout among the staff, among the physicians. People are happier practicing that way. Why do you think that is? Well, I think two reasons, and that's partly based on the literature and partly based on my own experience because, you know, I, I did help lead our our group of five practices, 53 physicians, um, in that transformation, part of it is working in a team, you just get less burned out. You, you get more done. Less effort is wasted. You spend less time trying to fix things because things don't go wrong in the first place. It's just, you know, when you work in a team, it's just not as hard. Many hands make lighter work, you know. The other reason is because you can feel better about what you do. If you look at the Maslach burnout inventory, it has several scales. And two of those scales are emotional exhaustion. You're just playing working too hard. But the scale that goes in the other direction is professional personal satisfaction. You reduce your burnout by feeling better about what you do. Hmm. When you run a medical home practice and you can see we're, you know, we're tracking our numbers because medical home practices do QI. They track their numbers. Hmm. They, they know how many patients with heart failure, how many are in the hospital, what's our blood pressure control rate like on the average. When you can see that you're doing better for your patients, as a family doc, I can feel better about that, right? I can look at the numbers and I can see, yeah, I've got, you know, 600 people whose blood pressure is well controlled. And I know that that is saving two or three strokes a year. I can feel good about that. So when you, it's interesting because a, a lot of times when you, um, when you think about a health system and you say, well, I have this intervention and this intervention is going to lower costs and patient satisfaction and outcomes are going to go up and it's going to happen in primary care. You know, I think the natural tendency is for, for primary care docs to think, well, this is going to involve me working more hours, working harder and having less time for myself. 
And what I'm hearing you say is, is maybe not? That Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. Once the transformation is done, the practices that successfully transformed the medical home, the docs are going home earlier. Hmm. We saw that in our own research here in Alberta. In fact, it's a wonderful example. I won't cite the practice <laughs> for confidentiality reasons, but a practice not too far from this very building, uh, there are three docs in the practice. One of them and his nurse and medical assistant, their, their team, uh, they're sort of a teamlet structure, as, as practices often are. They really went whole hog into the medical home model. They started doing chronic disease management well. And that's the, the biggest payoff part of the medical home model is doing a good, proactive, team-based, systematic job of chronic disease management in continuity care, right? Mm -hmm. So they did the AIM thing and the top thing, and they they went to the accelerating, and they, they learned all about the medical home, and, and they, they picked the brains of the top facilitators in great detail. And, and so this guy and his team went for it. The other two docs in his practice, a little skeptical, not sure they wanted to do that, <laughs> kind of keep doing things the old way, maybe use the chronic disease management nurse a little bit, right? This guy is wonderful because he's, he's seeing as many patients as they are. He's making as much money as they are. But he's going home an hour earlier. Wow. <laughs> and he calls them from home when they're still at the office, beating their heads against the work they haven't gotten done during the day. Burn. He calls them at the office and says, hi, I'm home. What are you guys doing? Wow. Oh, it is. It's a total burn. It's hilarious. Well, but it's, it's true. And, yeah. and in pra it, it, it's not often seen in that stark a relief because usually the whole practice goes. But, but, but it's true. You, you go home earlier. So it's interesting you, you say... Um, you said he's making as much money as the mm -hmm. other folks. And so another thing that I, that we do here is about, well, you can't actually accomplish any of this in a fee-for-service environment. So, um, you know, what, what does your research or experience tell you about that? That's one of those yes and no deals. You can accomplish a fair bit of this in a fee-for-service environment. You have to take intelligent advantage of some of the codes that are out there. And the most recent changes in the schedule of medical benefits make a difference in that regard. They, they do allow for, for more access to, to compensation for, for team-based sort of activities. And they, you know, they've removed the cap on the number of phone things you can do mm. and like that. So in Alberta's current fee-for-service system, you can do a fair bit of this. And the, the help that you get through the PCN can, can help with that as well. We could do much more of it with changes in our reimbursement system. Mm -hmm. The places that have been really successful about this have combined both changes in the practice and the team function mm -hmm. with changes in the reimbursement system. The thing we saw in our research in Michigan was, was quite interesting. The changes in reimbursement didn't serve as an incentive for practices to adopt the medical home so much as permission. Hmm. The practices wanted to do it because it's a better, more satisfying way to practice medicine. And the changes in the reimbursement system that were necessary were just to get the perverse incentives out of the way. Hmm. So it doesn't hurt you to bring on more right. staff. Yeah. But it wasn't like the practices were doing this because they would get more money in fact, when we studied it, they did make a tiny bit more, but not enough that anybody would really be particularly motivated over that. Mm -hmm. It's just that the reimbursement systems enabled 
the change. But we do have practices right here in Alberta who are not on ARPs that are doing a fairly good job of this, even within the, the fee-for-service system. So, I mean, you, you can do it. And you, you still see, um, like I've heard you use the term partial credit before. And mm-hmm. so, you know, if I'm a fa- family practice and I'm fee-for-service and I can get part of the way there, mm-hmm. do I still get to see some of those mm-hmm. health outcome changes, some of those satisfaction changes yeah. in that model? Yeah, and that's absolutely true. That's some of the research that we published. What we demonstrated was that the, the benefit in terms of better outcomes and lower costs scales pretty much linearly with the degree of PCMH-ness, if you will, mm. with the degree of transformation. And so partial credit counts. If you can only get halfway there, you're still getting a big whack of benefit for your patients. So if you if you we switch gears just maybe a little a tiny little bit and we talk about what does this actually look like? So um, you know I'm a family doc and maybe I've worked in a in a clinic for ten or fifteen years and my partners and I have never really done anything different and you know we have a certain relationship with our PCN maybe we send them some work and they send it back and and we think about what does it look like to become a patient's medical home. How do I think and work differently? What is kind of your research telling you about that? Well, what my research tells me is that it means different roles for people, and it means a change in mental model. Probably the most important thing we saw in our studies here in Alberta, and very consistent with with research elsewhere, is that the way one thinks about practice is different. The mental model in fee-for-service practice, in traditional practice, is I'm the doctor. I take care of patients. I hire some people who help me, and they do jobs that I assign them. In a medical home model, it's a different way of thinking. We take care of patients. Hmm. So that's quite a mind shift. And what we saw was almost was was a very clear spectrum from the traditional. I'm the doctor, I take care of patients, I hire some people who help me, to, yeah, I'm the doctor and I take care of patients, but for some things, I send them to the PCN, to the chronic disease management nurse or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I assign out some work. I delegate some things um, to kind of the next step, which is um, beyond delegation, I'm starting to grant some autonomy to these other team members. So mm-hmm. I'm the doctor, I take care of patients, but I... but but I give parts of that to some other people. And to the final, the whole step, which is we take care of the patients. We yeah. all take care of the patients. And in a real medical home model, what that often means is if I start the patient on, on hypertension meds, I diagnose they have hypertension, new onset, new case. I start them on meds. And they're going to need to be titrated and adjusted. You know, the first drug I try, they may not tolerate or they may need a second drug or whatever. I don't bring them back every week. I start them on meds and I talk to the chronic disease nurse and the pharmacist and the patient comes back next week and the nurse checks their blood pressure and the pharmacist says, hmm, got to titrate up a little. The pharmacist knows the drugs, know them better than I do. (laughs) They tweak them around, get the patient on a regimen that's got their blood pressure to goal and that, that works well for the patient. And a month later, I see them. But, you know, I know what's been going on because the, the nurse and the pharmacist have been keeping me informed, too. But they don't need to see me every one of those times. Right. So it's, it's very much a team kind of thing. Yeah. 
It also means a change in how you spread out the knowledge work of practice. Our research looks at knowledge work, specifically various elements of what a team does. Things like sense-making and learning and problem detection and monitoring. There's a whole set of these. Um, I could bore you in <laughs> great length with them because, you know, I'm a professor. That's what I do. But who does those? Who does the knowledge work? In a traditional practice, it's held pretty tightly. The doctor does most of the knowledge work. Maybe the nurse does a little. In a, in a medical home model, everybody brings their brain. And that, that's actually a, a, a wonderful phrase that I stole from a practice down in Lethbridge that we, that we did research with where the doctor, that was the phrase she used. And she ran a really wonderful team-based model, still does. And the, the phrase she used was, everyone brings their brain. Right? <laughs> I like it. So, good, good, good yeah. everybody brings their brain <laughs> yeah. to work. Yeah. But, but the, the medical assistant and the nurse and the, the receptionist at the front desk are all contributing to the problem detection and the planning and so forth that go on. So the whole team is working better. And, and we are much greater than me. It's kind of an interesting little side note, too. When we did the research in Michigan, we had over 2,400 practices involved. There was initially a concern by some physicians that if I let these other people in the team have more autonomy, you know, I could end up in legal trouble. I could be liable. Mm. And in the, in the U.S. especially, if you think sure. there's malpractice fear in Canada, go south of the border. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> the lawyers circle like vultures down there. Uh, in fact, they had lower risk because you got more brains more involved. Brains. Yeah. Mistakes get caught. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to know, Lee, do you know anything about, um, you know, when you've got everybody involved, everybody bringing their brains to work, mm -hmm. uh, ostensibly working to full scope? Yes. What is the turnover rate like on teams like that? Uh, it drops like a rock. <laughs> Nobody wants to leave. Yeah. Um, now, there's, initially, there can be a turnover because when you start handing out the knowledge work, empowering people, as the, the politically correct phrase is, not everybody wants that. Yeah. Some people are afraid of it. Yeah. And yeah. you can't just up and do it. You have to have a practice facilitator. You have to have a plan. You have to give people the skills. You have to offer them the training. You, ha you have to make it possible. Yeah. I can't just tell the pharmacist, okay, start titrating blood pressure meds. The pharmacist may not have been trained to titrate blood pressure beds. They know all about the drugs, mm -hmm. but they may not know about how to titrate mm -hmm. them. So you have to, and the medical office assistant who's going to take up doing flu shots, which is a very common mm -hmm. sort of thing in a medical home practice, to the top of your scope, right? May not know how to do that. <laughs> so you have to, you have to give people the skills, the ability to be effective. You're still going to have a few that's like, oh, this is too scary. I can't do this. Okay. You're going to lose a few at the start. Once you get over that, mm -hmm. You don't lose anybody because it's a very satisfying way to practice. In my previous practice, once we had been through the transformation, our turnover was nothing. Now, we were within the confines of the University of Michigan healthcare system. So, so we had this huge pool of people who were always jockeying for, for positions. Nobody got a position in our practice because nobody would leave. <laughs> and when an opening did come up because, you know, somebody's husband or wife moved and they had to move mm -hmm. with them or something like that, we got the pick of the applicant pool because everybody wanted to be in that setting. The nurses we got, 
we we skimmed off the very best nurses because they got to practice nursing. Yeah. Yeah. It was much more professionally satisfying for them. So yeah, there, there's a there's definitely a biphasic sort of thing where you get you lose a few people right up front because they can't quite deal with it yet. Yeah. But then you don't lose anybody after that. Mm. So I mean, we've covered a ton of ground yeah. already, and you know, I think maybe um, I'd like to consider kind of ending with one last question. Mm. So you know, you've laid out the evidence well. You've laid out kind of what the change looks like well. So if I'm a a family practitioner in Alberta, and, I, and I'm really at the starting gate of this, or I may be taking the first steps along the road. What's the one thing you would tell them that, that would be critically important for them being successful moving forward with the Maybe medical? Your best piece of advice. Oh, one best piece of advice, boy. That's a tough question. I think probably the best piece of advice I could give would be to get some good advice. <laughs> to work with the practice facilitators, with the improvement facilitators that your PCN has. They know a lot about how to help practices through this. There's lots of moving parts. Some matter a lot more than others. Can be pretty scary. How do you do it? And how do you take this big body of research and fit it into the context of your practice? Right. Where you have only this many exam rooms and you have only this many people and you've got all these people to take. How does it fit? You can't just read the book and do it. So the, the best advice I could give is, you know, programs like the AMA have your, your PCN, have facilitators who know this stuff. Use them. They have wisdom to offer. Pick their brains. Great. Well, thank you very, very much for joining us today, Lee. Yeah, thanks, Lee, for letting us, giving us a peek inside your fascinating brain. <laughs> <laughs> you can find any in there. You're welcome to it. <laughs> Uh, well, hopefully we can have you back again and uh, and learn some more. I'm a professor. I'm always happy to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. That was awesome. Full of insights for building your patient's medical home. It really was. And one of those last insights was to talk to your PCN and see if there are resources available for helping you to to build your patient's medical home like an improvement facilitator. And Lori, I as far as I know, almost every PCN has at least one trained yep. improvement facilitator. And uh, if, if they don't or if they need more, you can always let them know that the Alberta Medical Association has training and lots of support for improvement facilitator and other and other roles. And uh, make sure you head over onto the show notes uh, to check out uh, the link we've posted there to our Made in Alberta evidence summary for the patient's medical home. Hours and hours of reading on all the reasons (laughs) that you would want to build the patient's medical home. Thanks so much for tuning in. Check out the show notes for links to the tools, resources, and websites that were referenced in this podcast. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a comment, tell us what you thought and what you'd like to hear more about. And until next time, grab your hammer and keep building one nail at a time.